It all started when I was 12 years old, um, and Jamie Oliver was on his first TV show, The Naked Chef. And I saw him on The Naked Chef, and instantly I was like, I want to be like you one day. That's what I want to do. Hi, I'm Emile Donovan. This is The Detail, and that was Nadia Lim back in 2015. And it's fair to say things have moved on quite a bit since then. The business which delivers food and recipes to customers' homes was launched in 2013 and has grown to more than 50,000 customers delivering one million meals a month. Now they're jumping up a notch. The food delivery service My Food Bag says now, well, March the 5th, is the right time for it to become a public company and list on the stock exchange. The company has detailed its listing plans, 185 million shares to be sold at $1.85 each, valuing it at close to $450 million. So with a windfall on the horizon, will the saviour of New Zealand's dinner tables become the darling of the stock market? It only became a proper business in 2012, but really the foundation of the company was laid early the previous year. New Zealand's next master chef. Nadia. We thought your macaron flour frenzy was excellent. And we couldn't score you any other way. We gave you a score of... 18, which gives you an overall score of 88. Nadia, you are New Zealand's master chef. More on that soon, but first, a bit of stock market 101. Calendar Stuart Menteith is a senior business reporter for the National Business Review. She was Business Journalist of the Year in 2019. And I began by asking her to explain exactly what an IPO actually is. Well, an IPO, or initial public offering, is a stage before the company lists on the stock market. So it's an offer of shares mainly to institutional investors. So that's fund managers like your KiwiSafe uh, provider um, or trading platforms like Sharesies. And so they might buy in and um, then there's an offer to the public who are known as retail investors. Okay. Um, And why would a company issue an IPO? Well, it's a way to drum up investor interest and market the company. Um, It's a way to get a lot of new shareholders on board before listing. And it lets existing shareholders who might have invested in the company from the start to sell down their stake and make some money. They used to be really popular, um, but we haven't seen many in recent years. And you can list on the stock market without doing an IPO. Because IPOs cost so much to run, you've got to pay your lawyers, your brokers. Um, The cost can run into the millions. So a lot of companies choose not to do that. Earlier this month, we saw small aged care services company, uh, Third Age Health. They did a compliance listing on the NZX, which meant it didn't have to prepare a prospectus to offer shares, so it kept costs down. Um, It does mean, though, that the company doesn't have that large shareholding base that an IPO can bring in, so when they want to raise money, it can be a little trickier. So, say you started a private company, it's doing well, maybe it has a few shareholders who bought in when the company was much smaller and less valuable, and you're also pretty ambitious, you reckon you have a lot of room for growth. By holding an IPO and going public, you can make a bit of money for your shareholders if they want to cash out, You can pump a bit of that back into the business to help with future growth. 
and you massively expand your shareholder base. These are people with a vested interest in the success of the company who hopefully would be willing to stump up some more dollars in the future to, again, help stimulate future growth. But Stuart Menti mentioned there hadn't been many new listings on the NZX recently, and I was curious why. Well, I mean, in the last year it was because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. There's just been a real lack of listings, of new listings on the NZX since about 2013, 2014, when there was a real glut and excitement over new blood on the market. Um, since then, there's been more delistings than listings. There's lots of reasons for it. Um, perhaps companies are just uh, going private to raise um, private equity capital and just don't see the the benefits paying off from being a, a publicly listed company and all the scrutiny that that brings. We'll get into that in a second. Um, can you explain that? Like, How does an IPO work? Mm. There's months and months of behind-the-scenes work that goes into preparing an IPO. Um, the company will hire specialist lawyers and accountants, auditors, and they get what's called a lead manager. That's um, one or two of the big investment banks to run the process. Um, they'll prepare a detailed PDS or product disclosure statement, and that can be you know 100 pages long, which contains information about the company, um, the risks involved in investment, the cash flow statements, financial forecasts, and details about current shareholders. Uh, the company will then go on a roadshow, pitching the company to brokers and analysts to try and drum up some interest. They'll go all around New Zealand, um, usually to Australia and Singapore, but um, I would imagine this time around it's probably Zoom presentations. Um, and then they'll start taking orders for shares from institutional investors, and the IPO price is based on this demand. Um, Now, that's a bit of a balancing act because if it's set too high, the share price can plunge when the company starts trading. But if it's priced too low, the company could have pulled in a whole lot more cash. The final process to the IPO is over about a week. There's a book build where institutional investors buy shares, then an offer to brokers, um, sometimes retail investors, company employees, and then all going well, the company will list about a week later on the stock exchange. And what are the advantages and the disadvantages of doing so? Well, the advantage is drumming up that interest and excitement in the company before going public, um, as well as getting a, a lot of new shareholders who will hopefully commit to putting in new cash when the company needs it. And then the disadvantages are they're time-consuming and the board and management will think of very little else for months um, and they're very expensive to run. And then, you know, there's a lot of hype around IPOs. So often for investors, particularly, you know, smaller and retail investors, unless you're extremely confident about the company's prospects, then it could be a good idea to skip buying in at the IPO and just wait a few months to see where the share price is going and and how the company is performing against its forecasts. I mean, um, Warren Buffett has famously said... We haven't bought an initial public offering, I think, since 1955. Buying new offerings during hot periods uh, in the market, I don't think it's anything the average person should think about at all. 
and not all IPOs go smoothly. The stock has been on a steep decline since the IPO nearly two and a half weeks ago, trading 22% below the offering price. Check out shares of Uber this morning. The ride-hailing company stock is down more than 15% since it opened for trading on Friday, and that leaves investors with one simple question. Who's to blame? But, of course, not all companies are my food bag. Most of us know a bit about this company. It delivers ingredients and recipes to people's doorsteps, and celebrity chef Nadia Lim is involved with it. But what's the deal with the business side of things? Well, it, it started in 2012, uh, and basically it's a dinner kit subscription service. You know, you sign up in advance for a few nights a week and then it's all delivered to your door uh, with a recipe for each night and the sauce is all pre-packaged. Um, yeah, a lot of people do associate the company with Nadia Lim, but she's not the only person involved. She is the celebrity face of the business and over the last few years she's been involved in publicity rather than recipe development. Um, but there's there's other founding shareholders involved, Um the Cecilia and James Robinson, they're some entrepreneurs that also started OpairLink and some other businesses. And Teresa Gatung, who's a well-known New Zealand businesswoman who used to be the CEO of Telecom. Um, and then the, the other major shareholder who owns most of the company now is Waterman Capital. And that's a private equity firm that bought into the company late 2016. Well, the owners of My Food Bag have netted themselves possibly as much as $50 million after selling 70% of the grocery delivery service to a private equity group, Waterman Capital. The co-chief executive, Cecilia Robinson, says the company's main personalities are sticking with the business. My Food Bag has gone from you know zero to $135 million in, in four years. You know, but we're just at the start of the journey in terms of what we believe that we can achieve as a business, and, and that's only just begun. So we think that you know we've got a, a long, exciting road ahead, and we want to be able to uh, deliver those goals that we have alongside Kiwis and them having an ability to buy into our business as well. Tell me about the involvement of Waterman, because I feel like a lot of people might think of my food bag as being this kind of, you know, um, pull up by your bootstraps, Kiwi mum and dad company, which, I mean, in a sense it kind of was at the beginning, but, I mean, its ownership is very different now, right? Yeah, that's right. It's really past that sort of number eight wire stage. <laughs> um, by the time a company has private equity owners, they've really got to quite a big corporate stage. Um, and Waterman Capital, they came in late 2016 and invested about $36 million into the company to buy about 70% of the shares. Um, and during that restructure, the, the founders, so, you know, Nadia Lim and the, the Robinsons and Teresa Gatung, they sold down their stakes and made about $60 million just from selling down that part of the company. Um, and now at IPO... Uh, the company's been been valued at just under $450 million. So it's a large, large corporate company. And this is the largest IPO by office size in New Zealand since Genesis Energy in 2014. $450 million is a mm. tremendous sum of money. That's right, yes. And, you know, some people have said, is that valuation right? Is the company overvalued? Um, but the, the IPO price is set at $1.85, 
Um, and that was set by the level of institutional demand, which was ahead of the book build. Mm. Um, but valuation is a bit of a guessing game. You know, is the company really worth that much? Um, but it's this sort of thing that time will tell. You know, if it doesn't meet financial forecasts over the next few years, its share price will probably fall. Um, and also, you know, if it's been overvalued at IPO, the share price could actually just fall immediately in the few days after trading. One of the interesting things about this particular IPO is the timing, an observation made by business desk journalist Rebecca Stevenson on RNZ's 9 to Noon. In terms of sales, I think they had about $189.5 million, um, which had grown because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's actually probably a key thing that they're going to try to ride on as well, is just that people have been kind of decoupled from the supermarket through this process yeah. of being in lockdowns. And that has been incredibly beneficial for them. We're now my my bargain boxing three to four days a week ourselves because yeah we broke that habit in that last big first lockdown that we did is it fair to say that this ipo is happening kind of at a bit of a goldilocks moment for my feedback and i guess for ready meal kits in general absolutely because it gained loads of customers during lockdown um, as did all its competitors uh, but who knows how many will stick around for the long term um, because the company certainly sees quite a bit of customer churn month to month. Um, I was looking through the prospectus and there's a, a graph uh, for acquired and reactivated and retained customers. And you can see that about 60% of customers in a quarter were retained compared to the previous quarter. But that's a 40% churn rate each quarter, and that's pretty high. And then the, the PDS is actually quite silent on the breakdown between which are new and which are reactivated customers for this as well. So is that sort of the justification for that high valuation? Yeah, the valuation is actually more set on future earnings and the future prospects of the company. So it's um, looking at, say, 2022 earnings and saying, well, this is the, the right valuation for a company that's going to make that much. And when you look at the prospectus, what sort of plan does MyFubi kind of lay out for the future? If we just take their net profit after tax forecasts, it falls considerably this financial year and then there's a large jump next year. Yet the revenue is forecast to decrease slightly due to some customers who signed up during the pandemic cancelling their subscriptions. Um, it's, you know, part of the profit decrease this year is the cost of the IPO, but you know, we look at whether earnings and profit the next year could really climb that much when it's not clear where the growth will come from and where when their market share is being encroached. We do know that there's going to be some drags on my food bag in the future. HelloFresh is now in New Zealand. They've been here for a couple of years. Uh, yeah, g'day, it's me, How to Dad, and welcome to How to Dinner with, with me, How to Dad. Yeah, okay, I've got to come clean. So recently I was asked to team up with HelloFresh to, to make a cooking show that to make a cooking show that demonstrates how simple preparing delicious HelloFresh meals can be. And that business is just huge. You know, it's a multi-million dollar um, German business that just has so much money to throw at the New Zealand market. So it's really good time probably for the My Food Bag founders to cash out and get in on that IPO action. And so, you know, I asked them 
where they where they might be heading to try and maintain this growth. And they said that they, they wanted to expand the business into the wider food and grocery market. But really, I thought the prospectus was a bit thin on the detail with this. I mean, they said they would introduce new brands and seasonal offerings and bonus products and bags. But it wasn't really clear what the major new opportunities were and how that would convert to earnings. Mm. Yeah, I guess one way would be by expanding into different countries. Has MyFoodBag sent any signals about whether that might happen? I suppose Australia would be the logical move. Well, yeah, people have been wondering about that because they did enter Australia a few years back and they had about two years in that market but decided to pull out because it just wasn't working. They couldn't get ahead of their competition. Um, And when I asked the chief executive whether Australia was on the cards, he said not at this point. Um, so it's really it's really like they're just looking to expand in New Zealand, um, but they've got a lot of competition from other meal kit providers at the moment. Um, HelloFresh, in particular, is their biggest rival. They've got more than five million customers worldwide, and since it launched in New Zealand in two thousand and eighteen. Their growth has been really rapid, and its quarterly revenue has already overtaken my food bags. What are the existing? I mean, do you do 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 we know at this stage what the existing shareholders are planning to do? Are they going to what, hold on to what they've got? What's the deal there? They're all selling down their stakes, um, Waterman by by quite a lot um, to to what they said is. They'll have at least a 15% stake, but, you know, that's from 70% to 15% stake. But, you know, private equity, they often do that. They sell out at IPO, so that's not a surprise. Um, the the other founding shareholders and existing shareholders, like the chief executive, and they're also selling down quite a lot. Um, and it's interesting to see that most of the money raised at this IPO is going to existing shareholders rather than to the company to fund its growth. Uh, And I think this should send signals to investors. You know, why are these owners selling and where's the vote of confidence that this company will grow and its share price will grow? Has it given any indications as to dividends in future years and, 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 and how much of its profits will be paid out as dividends and so on? Yes, they have. They've said the dividend yield they're aiming for is 5%, which works out at... Seven cents a share dividend for its 2022 financial year. And that is actually a real drawcard to the investment because at the moment people are looking for investments they can earn regular money from. Um, With the current low interest rates, you don't want a lot of money just sitting in the bank. And there is one other dimension to this IPO, which is the state of the investing world that it's happening in. As anyone who followed the GameStop saga will know, the democratisation of share trading led by online platforms like Robinhood and ShareZ has been a complete game changer. All of a sudden, pretty much anyone can buy shares anytime, whether they're informed or not. And when it comes to something like a big name company issuing an IPO, that means a bunch of people won't look through the prospectus. They won't look at the state of the market, the plans for growth. They'll look at the company name, they'll think, yum, I like my food bag, I like Nadia Lim, I like eating, and I want a slice of this pie. Yes, I know what you mean, but I'm not 
entirely sure it's a new thing. Like I think consumers really want to buy a piece of the company that they like and they're customers of, and I think that's always been a, a thing. But in terms of how much of the appeal of the investment is down to the numbers and how much you know is down to the fact that it's my food bag, that would really come down to the individual investor. But I think you know the important thing to remember if you're planning to invest, and this goes for all IPOs, not just my food bags, that you don't get sucked in by all the glossy marketing hype and smiling people that are pictured in the prospectus but really dig down into past performance and growth predictions and see how they compare and and weigh up whether you really think that they can make these forecasts. And then, you know, you ultimately want to ask yourself, can I afford to put more money into the company if it does a capital raise later because otherwise your stake will get diluted? And can I afford to lose this money I'm investing? Thanks to Calida Stewart Menteith. And just remember, Calida is a business journalist. She's not a financial advisor. And if you're thinking of investing in this or any stock, do your homework and do think about getting professional advice. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Matewa. Matewa.